Christian Church. And if you have not had a chance to fill out one of the Connect cards, you can also do that online at pvcc.info. You can also find sermons on there from past weeks, and we'd love for you to stay uh, current with what we're speaking through. I'm excited to continue to be a part of what's going on here at PV. Uh, That was one of the reasons that I feel God was uh, encouraging and nudging us to make the move to come here, because I believe God is actively working in the lives of the congregation. And I believe that you as individuals, as the body of Christ, desire to see growth take place, not only in your own personal lives, but in the, in the body of Christ here at, as a whole, but also in our community. And so we're going through this idea of here and there. And, and yesterday was, was a great example in my mind of how active and how involved the church body is and what God is doing through the church body. Uh, Again, exciting times as we began yesterday morning with a men's prayer breakfast as we gathered together and and all the work that went into preparing a meal and spending that time together in prayer and and, in devotion. And there was a camp meeting that took place yesterday that talked about our our summer camps that will will happen and, and how God is working through our camp program. There was a, a playground that was moved from the List family residence to the, the playground area out here at the church building. And we want to continue to reach out and know that we as a congregation want to see more and more people from our community be a part of what goes on here at PV. There was a conceal and carry class that took place. There was the top of the peak that took place in the evening. And there was also a mar- mat- marching band competition that happened over at the event center that had uh, individuals from this congregation, whether they be high school students or college students that are part of the University of Wyoming band. It was was fun to see that take place. And and God is working, and he wants to see change take place in us. And we've been talking about in 1 Peter this idea of hope, a living hope, a hope that we don't just, we think it might happen. No, it's a hope that's going to for sure take place. And that hope will transform us, is the title of the message today. Many of us, we love to see things transformed. And there's some pictures on the screen uh, behind me here of individuals that, that were before and after. You know, some makeover. And we, we see this on our TVs. There's multiple TV shows that, that deal with the concept of taking something that is ordinary or run down and transforming it into something that we could only have imagined. Whether it be people or maybe there's kitchens or, or homes that we watch shows about. Cars that people completely rework and do over and make new, antiques or whatever it might be, we love to see the transformation take place. We love to see things that used to be not worth hardly anything become worth something so amazing. And as we continue on into 1 Peter 1, verses 13 through 21 this morning, we are challenged with the concept that the hope that we have in what is to come for eternity should transform us here on this earth. When we place our hope in the hands of Jesus, he transforms us into who he wants us to be. Christians were scattered all over the world at this time because of persecution. But Peter told them to live in hope because there was coming a day 
that they would be in heaven. As you turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 13, we read from the NIV, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Verse 17, since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, And so your faith and hope are in God. Will you pray with me as we begin? Father, this morning, may you speak to our hearts. May we be open to your word. May your Holy Spirit lead and direct and guide us. May we be changed. May we be transformed. May we allow you to do a work in us this morning. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. In these first verse that we read this morning, verse 13, therefore, prepare your minds for action, be self-controlled, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. And then if you jump to verse 15, it says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. And as I thought about these passages as I looked down through these, I, I thought about this, this concept of our hope should transform us. And we must notice the very first word in our text, therefore, is referring us back to our study from last week. What Peter is saying is because of your salvation that you should be seeking, here is how you are to live. Peter is telling Christians that we must be holy or set apart. And and a real basic illustration of what this might look like is maybe you're reading through the newspaper. Does anybody still get the newspaper? I don't know. Maybe you're online reading through it or you actually have a newspaper. And as you're reading through that, you're, you're looking through information and material and you come across an article. And you find this article, and you're like, oh, I could use this article maybe for a, a promotional thing that you're working on at work. Or, or maybe you have this article, and the information in, the, in there is useful for you to put a paper together for you at school. Or maybe it's something that you find in, in the newspaper that you're going to help pr- use to, to help your sales pitch that you're working on. Or whatever it might be, you want to use this article from the newspaper and the only way to use the article is to set it apart it's to cut it out like with actual scissors out of the newspaper not just like what you might see on a a screen for your computer you know that little scissor button on your computer that was because people used to actually cut stuff and then paste it onto things it was cut and paste you know now we just do it all on a screen and yet if you're wanting to use this article from the newspaper the only way to use it is to set it apart you have to cut it out 
And, and, and why would you need to do that? Well, if you don't cut it out, pretty soon it just ends up in the pile of newspapers that get you know, recycled, and you didn't get to utilize that article because you didn't set it apart. And that's exactly what the Bible means when it talks about being holy. Holiness is an attitude of heart in which you look at God and you say, use me. This is a tremendous clash in our culture today. In our modern culture, you know, you're supposed to be independent. You're not supposed to let anybody use you, but that's the opposite to this. A holy person is someone who looks at God and does not say, just give me the rules and and tell me what the rules are so I can get to it. No, a holy person is someone who says, I belong to you. I'm set apart for you. To be holy means to be holy his, W-H-O-L-L-Y. To wholly belong to him, again, W-H-O-L-L-Y. To give everything of who we are to God, to set ourselves apart. And so how do we live lives of separation? How do we set ourselves apart? How do we live lives of holiness if we're going to be transformed by being holy? And as we look at verse 13, it begins there by saying, prepare your minds for action. Another way might be to say, be alert Be alert. Perhaps the greatest illusionist and escape artist who ever lived was Harry Houdini. And he was known for his tremendous physical condition and could withstand blows to the abdomen by tensing his muscles. And while performing in Canada, it was reported that after one of his shows, a McGill University student named Jay Gordon Whitehead asked Houdini if it was true that he could resist hard punches to the abdomen. According to witness Sam Smilovitz, something to that effect, when Houdini said the rumors were true, Whitehead abruptly delivered four or five terribly forcible, deliberate, well-directed blows to his stomach. Houdini was still reclined on the couch at the time and had no time to prepare for the punches, which appeared to leave him in considerable pain. A few days later, Houdini died from a ruptured appendix. And there were some other medical things going on, but the blows to the stomach didn't help his situation. And if we're going to be wholly set apart, we have to be ready. We have to be alert. We have to prepare our minds for action. And the lives we live through the decisions that we make, they all begin up here in our minds. And that's why Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so I ask us this morning, how much time do we spend renewing our mind in God's word each and every day. I would challenge every one of us to to spend five more minutes, five more minutes than you already are in God's word each and every day. So if you're not spending much at all, maybe you move it up to five minutes. Maybe you spend ten minutes in God's word and so you move it up to fifteen 
I would encourage us and challenge us that when we spend the time of even five more minutes in God's word each and every day, we're going to find out that our minds are going to be more prepared for action than a week before. We have to be alert and ready for the devil's sucker punches to the gut in order to, in order to live a life of holiness. Also in verse 13 it says, be self-controlled. And I look at that, that idea and Merriam-Webster defines self-control as restraint exercised over one's own impulses, emotions, or desires. And, and if you're like me, um, man, that definition just puts me on edge right away. Because it has the word exercise in it, you know. And if the definition has the word exercise in it, that means it's not going to be easy. Exercise is, is not an easy thing. And if we're supposed to exercise a restraint over our own impulses or emotions or desires, that's a day in and day out difficult scenario that we have to face. And yet that's what Peter is challenging us with. In order for us to be holy, to be transformed by being holy, we have to spend time having self-control. I found a little fun video. I'm sure many of you have seen this idea. It's called the marshmallow test. And here's a little bit uh, of a snippet of this test. Go ahead. Marshmallow test is a really great way to show how children delay gratification. We tried it out with the four children we've been following since September 2010, Alfie, Millie, Mackay, and Pratmesh. Here's how it works. We had each child on their own sit at the table at a desk with uh, a plate and one marshmallow. They could either choose to eat the marshmallow, the one marshmallow right then and there, or they could wait until I came back into the room and have two marshmallows. I left them alone in the room for 15 minutes. Take a look. The marshmallow test has been used for decades by psychologists. It's been used with children to predict later academic success, including literacy, SAT scores, and other academic outcomes. <laughs> There's no definitive answers from the marshmallow test. It's not a matter of passing or failing. What we're looking for is whether children can really resist this piece of white candy sitting in front of them that's sweet, that, you know, the smell of it, the allure of the marshmallow. In Pratmesh's case, we really saw this added curiosity because he had never actually tasted a marshmallow before. All of the children managed to show some level of self-control <laughs> and resist the temptation to eat the whole marshmallow. As you can see from the footage, you can catch a glimpse into children's ability to control their impulses. This ability, which is developed around the time of kindergarten, can be linked to other outcomes later in life. At the end, the marshmallows were in kind of different states. Some had been squished, ripped apart, nibbled around. There was this temptation and there was this impulse to kind of try it out. I don't know about you, but self-control, delayed gratification, those are difficult things in our lives. And I truly believe one of the most difficult things to, to deal with on a day-in and day-out basis is having that self-control. And that carries over in a lot of areas of our lives. Wouldn't it just be so much easier if someone just forced us to do certain things? 
You know, I mean, I'm sure it would kind of make us upset and maybe we wouldn't like it, but at least we wouldn't have to work so hard at it ourselves if someone just made us do the things that we should be doing. However, that's not how it works. That wasn't God's plan. God has given us free will and he wants us to choose a life of self-control. And I have a hard time exercising restraint over the impulse or desire that I have each morning. That each morning when my alarm goes off for me to get up and work out, I just have a hard time exercising that restraint not to just jump back in my warm bed, you know. And each one of us struggle with different areas of our lives when it comes to self-control. So what areas of your life do you need to exert more self-control? Remember that our hope And what is yet to come can give you the strength and ability to prepare your minds for action and be self-controlled in your efforts to live holy lives in Christ. I think about this idea of knowing that something is still to come. When we would go on mission trips, uh, I've been on several to uh, Jamaica. And you go there, and it's great, it's nice, there's, it's warm. In fact, it's really warm at times. It's, in fact, really hot, and you're sweating a lot, and, and you're dealing with, you know, water situation that you're not used to, and you're dealing with a toilet situation that you're not used to, and you're already looking forward to maybe a day or two in, heading home, and, and you begin to think through this idea of, Okay, well, I'm here to do a work. I'm here to do ministry. I'm here to, to do God's will in my life. And at the end of this time, there's, there's a time set where I know that I'm going to be heading home. I, I know maybe the difficulties that I'm not used to in my normal life on the mission field, th- those are going to end at some point because eventually I'm heading home. And we... In this world, as we labor for Christ, in the difficulties that go on, as we struggle through being alert, as we struggle through having self-control, I want to encourage you this morning that you know that there's something better to look forward to. Your hope will transform you. And so we need to be transformed by being holy. And as we look at verses 14 through 16, I, I believe we need to be transformed by being obedient Verse 14 says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Verse 15 again, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. A vital step in experience transformation is our willingness to be obedient to the commands of God. Obedience brings about transformation into our lives. We are to live as obedient children, and that sounds simple, right? You know, that shouldn't be too hard. The chances of me living my daily life as obedient, uh, as an obedient child of God is as simple as my seven children living as obedient children every day without fighting or arguing or disagreeing or pushing or hitting. You know, it, it's difficult, isn't it? So how do we live as obedient children? And as I look at these verses, verse 17 and 18... It says, since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. 
And as we jump back into the verses of 14, where it says, Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Verse 14 tells us to not conform to those things that we were used to in our past. And we've discussed this already, this idea of no longer living in our old selves, but being made new. We, we can't continually go back into our old way of life. You have to have new speech, and you have to have new thoughts. And you can't be caught up in the old crowd that you, you used to hang out with that, that drug you down. You have to have new actions. And so what are you doing, or what do you need to do differently in your life to keep you from falling back into the old way of life? I also feel like if we're going to be obedient children, we have to be like Christ in all things. It seems like there isn't a day that goes by that my children will often say, well, so-and-so got to do this. Well, well you know, she got to have this, and, and they want to be able to have what each other has. And I think about that in our lives. Do we want to have what Jesus has? He has a strong, solid relationship with his father. He lived a perfect life. As obedient children, we can look to the greatest example that we have in Jesus Christ and do our very best to live the way Christ lived. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. Just as we are, yet he did not sin. And I know that none of us are going to live lives of perfection, but as obedient children of God, we are called to be holy by Jesus, who is holy. We need to be set apart from the rest of the world to live like Jesus and not like the world. And I also see here that we need to listen to our Father as I mentioned at the beginning of the message, we love to see things be transformed. And, and I am one of those people, uh, I just, I enjoy, it. it's also for the most part uh, fairly clean television. If it's not a sports uh, event that I'm watching, it's usually something where they're making over, uh, you know, a home or a car or something to that effect. And, and on uh, the HGTV show Property Brothers, there's always this theme or this line uh, or this statement that takes place. And, and you have the homeowners wanting, they, they think they know what they want a lot of times. And what it a lot of times comes down to is Jonathan, who is one of the, the twin brothers on the show, he, he's the kind of the foreman and he knows the design. He knows what's best. And a lot of times in the show that the homeowners want something different. They're like, he's, he tries to help them see that maybe the direction they're heading in isn't going to be what's best. He knew what was best because he's done it time and time again. And our Heavenly Father knows what's best in our lives. We need to listen through his word and do as he says. And so the th final thing I see in these verses if we're going to be transformed, it's going to be by living in reverent fear of God. Verse 17 again, since you call on a father who judges, judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. 
For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. If we're going to be transformed, it's going to be by our willingness to live in reverent fear of God. And so we have to ask ourselves, do we live with reverent fear for God? And what does that even mean? For the unbeliever, the fear of God is the fear of judgment of God and eternal death, which is eternal separation from God. We see verses like Luke 12, 5 and Hebrews 10, 31 that talk about that idea. But for the believer, the fear of God is something much different. The believer's fear is reverence of God. Hebrews 12, verse 28 and 29 is a good description of this. It says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This reverence and awe is exactly what the fear of God means for Christians. This is the motivating factor for us to surrender to the creator of the universe. Proverbs 1.7 declares, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And until we understand who God is and develop a reverent fear of him, we cannot have true wisdom. True wisdom comes only from understanding who God is and that he is holy, just, and righteous. Deuteronomy 10, verse 12, and Deuteronomy 10, verses 20 and 21 record, And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is the one you praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. The fear of God is the basis for our transformation. Walking in his ways, serving him, and yes, loving him. A biblical fear of God for the believer includes understanding how much God hates sin and fearing his judgment on sin, even in the life of a believer. Hebrews 12, verses 5 and 6, describes God's discipline of the believer. Verse 5 says, And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone who accepts as his son. While it's done in love, Hebrews 12, 6, it's still a fearful thing. 
As children, the fear of discipline from our parents no doubt prevented some evil actions. And the same should be true in our relationship with God. We should fear his discipline and therefore seek to live our lives in such a way that pleases him. Believers are not to be scared of God, for we have no reason to be scared of him. We have his promise that nothing can separate us from his love, Romans 8, 38 and 39. We have his promise that he will never leave us or forsake us, Hebrews 13, verse 5. Fearing God means having such a reverence for him that it has a great impact on the way we live our lives. The fear of God is respecting him, obeying him, submitting to his discipline, and worshiping him. In awe, that reverent fear for the Lord should cause transformation in our lives. So this morning, are we being transformed by the hope that we have in our eternal reward? Are you a born-again believer? If you're not, then you haven't started the process of transformation. You have to allow God to begin to work in you. And maybe you aren't living a life of holiness yet or, or, or obedience or even a reverent fear to God. But the way that you can change all that is to give your life over to Jesus Christ who died for you. To believe in him, to repent of your sins, to confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior and to be buried with him in the watery grave of baptism in order that you might rise to new life in Christ and to daily walk in the Spirit. And maybe for you this morning, you're, you're a long-time believer. You're an immersed believer in Christ for, for a long time and I want to encourage and challenge you. Be transformed by being holy obedient, and living in reverent fear so that this world can see the light of Jesus upon your life and that they too might be saved. If they can't see Jesus in God's children, where will they see him? And so this morning, will you choose this day to allow your hope to transform you? Will you pray with me? God, this morning, our prayer is that we don't continue to live in the same rut of our life that is just, just getting by. God, we want to be changed by you. We want to be transformed by you. We want to allow the hope that we have in you to begin to really change our thought life, to change our actions, to change how we interact with believers and non-believers. God, we want to be holy in your sight. We want to be set apart we want to be all yours, God. And so, Father, may we be obedient children. God, may we spend time daily seeking where we can follow in your footsteps. Father, may we have a reverent fear of who you are, that we know that you are the most powerful being in the universe, and we want to live daily for you. We want it to change us. We want to be transformed this morning. So, Father, if there's one here that needs to surrender their lives completely over to you, God, we ask that you would work in their lives this morning, that they would come as we sing. And to the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.